0: Welcome to Ask of Expert, brought to you by the team at Vexit.com. Our bi-weekly series is the podcast helping business owners, managers, and professionals thrive in the world of modern work. Here's this week's host, Polly Craig.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and thank you for being here. Before we get started, I want to let you know that we really do appreciate you investing your valuable time with us, and we want to make sure you're getting value in return. If you have questions for professionals or topics that you would like to have covered, send an email to me directly at podcast at and we'll find you the answers right here on Ask of Expert. You can also find all the show notes and reference materials at vexit.com forward slash podcast. And remember, that's Vexit with two X's. So today's topic has generated a lot of buzz in everything from leadership to entertainment. Today, we're doing a deep dive on imposter syndrome. Where does it come from and how can you overcome it? According to Jessica Bennett at New York Times, it's that nagging feeling that you don't belong and it affects women and minority groups disproportionately. Being Ivy League educated and award-winning CEO, rich or famous doesn't make you immune. That same article quotes icons like Tina Fey and Michelle Obama talking about their bouts with imposter syndrome. We all have moments of self-doubt. But when it runs rampant, it could cause real problems in your personal and professional life. So how do we manage these feelings when they come up? How do we get comfortable sharing our voice with the world? Today's guest is going to shed light on this for us. Marina Bejanova is an entrepreneur, global speaker, show host, and personal branding expert. Her life story has been a phenomenal inspiration to many. The work she does today helps business leaders build confidence in sharing their voice and their story. We can't wait to dive into this conversation, and we're so pleased to have Marina with us. Welcome to the show, Marina. I can't wait to get started.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted and excited.
1: You know, Marina and I met uh, probably a few years ago because we both belong to Entrepreneurs Organization, and I always looked at this woman as being so incredibly astute and very connected uh, in in all sorts of circles, but I never really knew her personally until we had a conversation a few months ago. And I'm going to get Marina to start off this episode with just telling her story because it inspired me the moment she opened her mouth.
2: Thank you so much for saying that. It really means a lot. And, you know, it's interesting because when we think of our own stories, we always feel, well, what's so special about it, right? Um, But, um, of course, when we get that external feedback, it changes perspective. Um, I was born in the Soviet Union, uh, what was at the time the Soviet Union. And I grew up um, in post-Soviet Ukraine. So thank you so much for pronouncing my last name so perfectly. It's very rare (laughs) for that to happen in North America. Um, You know, when I was born, I was born to a Jewish father. And so my parents gave me my mother's last name, the hard to pronounce last name so that people wouldn't know that I'm Jewish. And so, you know, growing up in that culture of um, censorship, growing up with that little bit of a feeling, um, you know, at the beginning, during the introduction, you mentioned that uh, lack of belonging as what fuels the imposter syndrome, always had a little bit of that growing up. And then, of course, immigrating to Canada, the first time I ever boarded a plane, I was 16 years old. I remember it so vividly. It was a mind-blowing experience sitting on a plane and thinking, my life will never be the same. I'm a changed person. Um, First plane, 16, coming from Ukraine at that time to Canada. um, And then feeling that lack of belonging all over again, but for very different reasons.
1: You know, fast forward to where you are today. One of the things that I recall you saying that you didn't have color when you lived in the Soviet Union. And so when you got to North America, it was eye opening for you. And, and so just that observation, you can just imagine. And now when you look at your own personal brand, I do notice that
2: you, you always use color in what you do. Is there a connection there? Definitely. You know, it's really interesting. Again, when you're growing up, you have your own reality. And it seems to that this is the way things are for everybody, right? Um, But so we didn't have much color as far as even the way kids dressed. So we all dressed in black, white, gray, brown, our school uniform, we, we all had to wear uniform to school. We didn't have private schools, it was all state schools, but uniform and the uniform was black and brown. And on important days, we could wear black and white. <laughs> so that was, you know, more festive colors. Um, I remember at one point, we had an exchange student um, that came from the UK. And uh, she cried the full day that she was uh, that she was with us, the first day that she arrived. We asked her why. And she said, uh, everything's so depressing. There's no color. How can you have kids not wear color? And we had no idea what she was talking about. But I do remember that uh, we had a pen pal. Um, many people don't even know what a pen pal is anymore. <laughs> By pre-internet days, um, you know, you could make friends, quote unquote, overseas and exchange letters. And we had this pen pal in Bulgaria that would send us chocolate and candy wrappers—no chocolates or candy inside, just the wrappers. But they were extremely bread colored, and I still remember that. This was so many years ago. I remember just sitting and staring at the colors. And just for, you know, hours on end, because it was just so different, we couldn't see that anywhere else. Um, And certainly what a different reality today. And what a different reality for my own kids that have no idea what I'm talking about, when I share those stories with them.
1: You know, our audience is made up of business owners and leaders. And, you know, we touched on the fact that imposter syndrome, we've all heard the term, and we touched on it a little bit. And in the work you do with helping people identify their own personal brands, can you sort of connect the dots between those two? What is imposter syndrome? How do you see it affecting business leaders? And then where do you start on your journey to helping them?
2: So imposter syndrome is um, a fascinating phenomenon to me because one thing that I notice is how prevalent it is and how prevalent it is among incredibly impressive, inspiring, and successful people who on surface have absolutely no reason to have it. So imposter syndrome, essentially, as you mentioned in the introduction, it's a little bit of that lack of a sense of belonging, but even more so, it's that nagging question of, am I good enough? Am I good enough in comparison to others? Do other people think I am a successful, smart person, but in reality, I'm not? I'm going to get discovered. And then the question of who am I to? So I work with business leaders to develop their personal brands, to help them find their voice, scale its reach. But the question when we talk about, you know, becoming the face of your business or creating more visibility, putting yourself out there, the questions that I hear most often, and again, these are impressive people, successful people who are doing really well, really smart, really ambitious. But I constantly hear such questions as, but who am I to put myself out there? But why would anybody listen to me? But what do I have to say that's so special and so unique? And I find that mind-blowing. And so um, what's interesting though, and the link that I have discovered, and as I started researching the topic more to understand, why is this happening? Why is this so prevalent? And by the way, we tend to think that it's women are more likely than men to experience imposter syndrome. I, I don't think that's 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 true. At least based on my anecdotal evidence of working with men equally as I do with women, I hear the exact same questions all the time. Um, I think that women are just more. We tend to be more expressive. We're socialized in a way that allow us, um, you know, we have that permission, internal permission to express those worries externally, where men usually suppress them. But it's quite um, it's, it's 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 a phenomenon that affects men and women equally and even more so men and women who place a lot of value on achievement, which is why it's the connection is with the more successful you are, more you experience than foster syndrome. It's not the other way around, which is quite fascinating.
1: That is fascinating. So where do you start? I want to go in two directions here. I'm going to set the table here and then you can put the cutlery on it. One is where do you start when you somebody has identified that this is something that they want to deal with. And the other side of the equation is when you look at a business and often, you know, if you have a business that you don't necessarily want to be the face of the business, if you're a solopreneur and you have your name in the business, as an example, is that different when working with somebody that is trying to use their personal brand simply for business reasons versus somebody who really just authentically wants to work on their personal brand for the purpose of growing themselves and helping their business?
2: Yes, great questions and different questions. So let's unpack them first separately. So question number one, what do you do if you've realized, okay, I experienced the imposter syndrome frequently, what do I do? Um, my answer is you focus on a change of perspective, understanding that it's normal. It's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of strength either, but it's a sign that you're growing and you're putting yourself outside of your comfort zone. You're certainly not experiencing imposter syndrome if you're within your comfort zone, right? So let's say if you're always doing 5K marathons, you're going to have an imposter syndrome. You do it all the time. You show up, you run. If you're going to do a 20K marathon, you might show up and feel like, oh, Am I going to be as good as others? I'm not going to be able to do it. You have those questions and worry. That's normal. So if every time you experience imposter syndrome, you say, you know what? I'm putting myself out of comfort zone. I am growing. This is a sign of growth. This is how I'm supposed to feel. It's normal. As long as it's not paralyzing us and we're still taking action, then it reframes. Stop thinking that you're the only one. And Why is this happening? And and my mind is weak and, and all those different things. It's a normal thing to experience. And again, it's normal among people who are achievement oriented. Now, personal brand, what does it help with? How does it help? Certainly, it fuels that imposter syndrome emotion because you are putting yourself out there. And especially if it's not something you're comfortable doing, you ask yourself a lot of questions and you do expose yourself to a lot of criticism and and some negativity sometimes as well, right? To put yourself out there, it happens. So certainly, it fuels self-doubt. Now, your other question was, is it different when you're a solopreneur? You know, And that's a question I get quite frequently. Well, of course, if you're a solopreneur, you have to build a personal brand because that's how you grow the business. You are sales and marketing. So of course, you're going to be building your brand. Sales and marketing is you. And then entrepreneurs with established businesses, with employees will often say, well, I have a sales and marketing team. So why should I be putting myself as the face of the business? The business has been growing really well. We're successful. Why should I be doing that? And the answer to that is, The world has changed, people have changed, and customers have changed. Customers are becoming less trusting of corporate brands, less trusting of corporate messaging, i a little bit less interested in corporate messaging as well. What we're interested in is other humans. We are inspired by the human beings who are building those businesses. So as much as you as the founder or co-founder might feel, what's so special about me? What makes me so interesting? You are fascinating to people, even more fascinating than Vexit, because people want to know what does it take? Who is the person behind the brand? And the um, feeling of trust, the trust that you would want to establish with customers. Um, it helps um, to achieve, you, you, you're, you're able to achieve that much easier through personal branding than corporate branding without diminishing the, the, the importance of the latter.
1: And one thing we always hear and we know is the fact that people buy from people, not brands. And so to have a brand has to have some personalization and it's the human to human interaction. Well, there's lots of good examples, but the first one that pops to my mind is Richard Branson his personal brand is larger than his company Virgin Airlines brand or his Virgin brand, Uh, Elon Musk, similar thing. It's his, his personal brand is actually larger than, than his company brand. And so that's really an important thing for companies to, to really understand. And then touch on the effect that social media has with this, because you know now you're you're putting yourself out there uh, i'm sure it's important to have some consistency what are the are there dos and don'ts that people need to follow guidelines on how to be an authentic personal brand within a brand
2: Um, Absolutely. Well, first of all, you have to define the brand. And, you know, one of the biggest misconceptions that we're seeing right now is that people are equating brand and branding, especially personal branding, with marketing and specifically with social media. We often hear you want to build a personal brand, go on LinkedIn, post on LinkedIn. Now, Clubhouse is really hot. You should be on Clubhouse, build your personal brand. That's not building your personal brand, that's marketing yourself, which is the next step. First, you have to define what your brand is. And that's really, really important. Look, we know a lot of people with very strong brands who have no social media presence at all. Social media is not one of the channels where they can scale the reach of their message with the right audience. Your brand is your differentiator. That's what what your brand is. So if you think of it in that way, it also simplifies um, the complexity of what's a brand, you know, that feels intangible. What does it mean? Do I have a brand already? You don't necessarily have a brand already. You have a reputation, but your brand is your differentiator. So first you want to identify what is that differentiator. If you are an accountant, well, what makes you different than all of the other accountants out there? If you're a lawyer, same thing. Beyond your area of expertise, there's a lot of competition. What makes you unique? What makes you special? So the process of uncovering your personal brand, it really is not an external process. It's not a a process of, posting or creating content. It's a deep dive. It's a process of reflexivity, identifying that unique position. And then people always ask me, but is there something unique? Do I have unique position? And yes, you do. Everybody does. It's just that clarity so that when people see your name, they can associate it with something unique and that's relevant to them. So that's number one. Number two, before you start to answer your question, before you start creating content on social media, putting yourself out there, you have to identify with clarity your content pillars. What are you going to be associating yourself with as far as the content you will be creating? Most people don't do this, and this is the biggest mistake because here's what happens. When you've identified your brand and you say, okay, well, this is my brand. This is my differentiator. Now I'm going to go on LinkedIn because that's where my audience lives. and I'm going to start creating content. Two things happen. Number one, you don't know what to write. So you sit there, you're ready to go. You say, today is the day I'm going to start. And I'm like, well, what do I say? I'm like, you're not sure. Or number two, you start posting. Maybe you're an extrovert. You know, you have the gift of the gap. so You start just sharing a bit of everything. And what happens then? So first, in the in first case scenario, nothing happens, right? Because you're silent and paralyzed. You don't know what to do. What happens in the second case is that you're just posting and you're just sharing and you're just diluting your brand. The people are not clear um, on you know, what it is that you stand for. And if you're fun, you're entertaining or interesting, you might be building a following, but that following has no idea what you do. And then very often it happens to me too, where people will come to me and say, you know, I have a following and I'm posting a lot and people are engaging, but most people I speak with them and I say, well, do you know what I do exactly? They have a very vague idea, right? They might say, oh, you're a lawyer. What kind? Are you, do you do the type of law that's relevant to them? They're not sure. So what, what is very important is to define those content pillars of which there are two to four. You keep it very simple. One to two that focus on your area of expertise. And that's all you talk about is your area of expertise with clarity. You have to be very clear what you're an expert in. So that's, that's an important step. And then the other um, content pillars, again, one to two, are those that humanize your brand, that make you human, interesting, compelling. You mentioned Richard Branson. So He talks a lot about his adventures and you know social causes and all those different things. They make him human and interesting beyond the businesses that he's created, right? So in my case, my core area of expertise that I talk about is personal branding for Gen X. That's the generation that I focus on, often called the forgotten generation. And on the human side of things, I have two core pillars that are clearly defined. They are immigrant life, So I'm sure you follow me, you've noticed. Mm -hmm. And number two is what I call the struggle of the juggle. I own two businesses, I have two kids, I'm pursuing a master's degree, you know, juggling all the balls, they're falling, breaking, some are still in the air, and that's what I talk about. That's it. Any other topics that I might be passionate about, interested in, I don't know, gender parity, just different things, I don't talk about them. It's a conscious choice. It keeps the message clear, it keeps the brand clear, and you don't dilute yourself.
1: And so do you do that on specific channels? And for example, you mentioned LinkedIn, that makes total sense. Maybe you're on Instagram as an example. What if there are personal things that uh, would you go on Facebook? Is it okay to just be a different person on, on Facebook that isn't talking about those pillar brands or does it have to be consistent across all channels?
2: You have to be consistent across all channels. Well, first of all, you have to be authentic everywhere. Personal brand is rooted in authenticity. It's not a created, it's not a construct um, that you work on. It's, It's also different and arguably corporate brand isn't either, but more so. Personal brand is absolutely rooted in authenticity. It's the most important part. So hopefully you are yourself everywhere. Now, that also means you can be yourself everywhere, but you can show different sides of yourself, right? So you're not a different person, but you're a complex individual, right? You're one way with your friends, you're one way with your family, one way with your clients, still you. So the authenticity is still there. So if you are targeting, you're building your visibility, you want to make sure that your clients, every channel that they see you on have that exact same feeling of who you are. That's the most important part. You want clients to feel that they know you. Through you, they know your business. And then when they meet you, how do you know your brand is working? Is your, your self-marketing and your branding is working? Is when you meet a prospective client or somebody who doesn't know you, and they say, oh my God, I feel like I've known you forever. And they have that feeling of knowing you just because they've been following you, right? So to answer your question, do you pose different types of content and different platforms? No, Um, it's the same content pillars. You want to keep it consistent. The tone of voice, the structure of the post changes, of course, because you want it to be relevant to the platform. So you can't take the same content and just copy paste it on every single platform and hope it works. It doesn't, every platform has its own personality. And then finally, you decide what platforms you're going to be on depending on where your audience is. And so I'm saying audience, I'm not saying customers, because different people build their brands for different reasons. Some are not only targeting customers, but also people. They just want to inspire or affect, you know, promote change of some kind. So wherever your audience is, that's where you're building your personal brand. And if there are other channels that are just for friends and family and tight circle, just make it private. You
1: know, I'm interested in when you talk about building an audience, and we hear a lot about uh, influencers and brands uh, attaching themselves or Uh, aligning themselves with people who have an audience and you know I'd assume first you want to make sure that it's the right audience because we don't want to be all things to all people does that take away from a personal brand or the brand of the business if you've you've got your personal brand around it do you stay clear of moving into the influencer field
2: uh, depends on what your goals are. You know, when I start working with clients and building their personal brand, we we'll talk about setting their goals. Uh, Clients that I work with, they're not looking to position themselves as influencers. They're looking to position themselves as thought leaders or experts in their field and their category. So they're not looking to become, you know, the next Kim Kardashian and be, you know, selling lipstick and promoting different products. They're really looking to stay in their professional lane and, uh, you know, again, um, position themselves as thought leaders or experts in their particular niche. Now, beyond that, when deciding, you know, let's say you get visibility, you certainly attract a lot more opportunities. Those might be business opportunities. Those might be opportunities to promote a different cause, might be a lot of different opportunities. What you want to be really clear on when you're developing your personal brand is what are your core values? So when you are deciding on which project to align yourself with, um, you know maybe you're building your personal brand as a lawyer, but you do get approached to potentially promote, um, I don't know, maybe some kind of a device, writing device or something. You want to make sure that everything you're aligning um, yourself with is on brand for you, that there is that alignment and core values um, that when you are promoting a different product, or promoting a different business, or maybe you're employed and you're joining a different company, you want to make sure that there's always that absolute pure alignment on core values. That is extremely important. So for example, one of my core values is censorship is evil. One of my core values, it comes from growing up in the Soviet Union, it comes from the culture of censorship, it comes from hearing my parents talk in whispers so that my sister and I wouldn't understand what they're talking about, the culture of censorship. And then coming to Canada and feeling censored, in a sense, again, because as an immigrant with an extremely heavy accent, nobody could understand anything I was saying, probably, at all. I would say, you know, hello. And people would say, where are you? Where are you from? I <laughs> said, hello. How did you know? And so I censored myself, started censoring myself for many years. So censorship is evil, um, is is one of my core values. I could never associate myself with any type of a cause or situation or anything where, you know, people are being silenced or there's that selectiveness, of you know, who gets to have a voice, who doesn't. I can't. That's not in alignment with my core values, right? So when you have that absolute clarity, then uh, you know what to align yourself with and not once you're having a lot more visibility.
0: Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal and everyone at my company, the sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network.
1: Well, a more reason for brands to be very clear on what their values are, because we all have, you know, we have employees. And so how they present themselves also need to be in line with the core values of the business in everything that they do. They're, they're the front lines. They are our cultural leaders within our organization.
2: I know. And, and you know, the mistake that a lot of businesses are making, it would especially um, being concerned with that, that employees are going to be spreading a message that's not on their personal social media pages, that's not in alignment with the business, and then how does that affect the business? Of course it affects the business. You know, people are looking at content created by employees more so than they're looking at the content created by the corporate uh, pages themselves. Um, but the mistake that we're making is uh, we're creating those guidelines on what employees are allowed to post not allowed to post how to approach it the problem is that um, that can also backfire because when people externally find out about those limiting processes and again employees being you know censored in a sense that usually backfires as well what we want to make sure is that we're hiring people who are in alignment with their core values because if they are then their messaging and what they're expressing and what they're putting out there is not going to be brand damaging because we're in alignment as far as our core values. That's really important. And that's still very often overlooked. Absolutely.
1: There was a big rage, you know, everyone's looking at numbers and followers and everything, but really we want to be attracting the right audience. So again, by doing it right, being consistent, following your brand guidelines and having your pillars, you will attract the, the right followers and people. And then what is there a rule of thumb, you know, so now things are are moving, we're more comfortable, uh, those of us with imposter syndrome, uh, that that can start having a conversation. How do we then engage two-way? You know, if somebody starts commenting or there's disagreement, how much of that should be kept public versus private? You know, do you just say, you know, thanks for that message, send me a direct message or... You could be caught off guard and, you you know, once it's out there, it's out there. You can't take it back.
2: That's a really good question too. And that's, you know, uh, one of the biggest concerns that people have, right? Because we do know that we can not be liked by everyone. And if your personal brand is really clear and your messaging is really clear, um, you want it to be not overly safe. So you don't have to be, you know, a, a polarizing brand if that's not who you are. Absolutely not. But you do have to stand for something. That's really important because if you're creating very granola, vanilla content, it doesn't really pick up, right? And, and often people, you know, in pursuit of being liked, will be keeping it safe. The thing is, if you're trying to be liked by everyone, you tend to be not loved by many, okay? And if you're building that true following, you would rather it be fewer people, but people who, and I'm I'm saying love, but I mean, you know, people who find you inspiring, people who admire you, people who really follow you, that's where magic happens. That's what you want, and you want to be clear in your message. Happens when you're clearing your message, and there are people who, let's say, quote unquote, love you. Certainly, there are a lot of people that then on the other side don't like you so much. What happens on social media is when people don't like you so much, they let you know. (laughs) They make sure that you're aware of the fact that you're not great. And uh, look, I'm extremely active on LinkedIn, and I've been called names on LinkedIn many times. I've been called a loser. I've been called vain. I've been called all kinds of not dumb. That's that, that one really hurts me because I, I must have some sort of <laughs> an imposter syndrome there. I just don't i dumb. <laughs> call me anything else. Um, call me a loser. And so um, those stain and those hurt, how you deal with them will depend again on your personal brand. Okay, So first of all, you can always delete a comment and you can always block a person, right? It's an option on LinkedIn. In particular, that's an option. And every time I get this negative comment or I get a remark, I start getting lots of DMs and text messages saying, did you see that comment? You should delete it. Block the person. I can't believe they said it to you. My core value is censorship is evil, And so I believe I can't censor others either, even when it hurts (laughs) and when it doesn't serve me, I can't. I have never deleted a single comment. I've never blocked a single person. So how I engage um, depends. Sometimes I will, I'm outspoken and sometimes I will enter um, in in a debate. I believe my my other value is to be in constant pursuit of intellectual growth. Um, So I believe in approaching things in an intellectual way. So I will never respond in, um, you know, an argumentative way or jabby, but uh, intellectual. And you know, what's really interesting, I've also noticed that very often, now it's not always, many people are there just to argue. And at one point, you, you just don't reply if you see that that's their goal. But you know, there are many people who do come from Um, a different angle, some kind of pain um, or some kind of struggle. I've noticed that those times where I sense that the person there is, it's not about me, the comment that they're making, that there's something that's making them really unhappy. I've responded by saying, you know, it looks like you're struggling with something right now, or maybe you're having a bad moment in life. DM me if you'd like to chat. And you know, a few people have. And they've become my biggest fans since, and it's really, it's really interesting. So I think again, removing the situation from what, what do these comments say about me? Nothing. They say something about the other person. Either they're not a great person, or they're going through something.
1: And true to what you say, stick to your values by not censoring, and open the door for intellectual conversation. Who knows where it goes? And as you say, you could be friends or you may learn something through it. And certainly if you can enlighten uh, the person making the comment and they walk away uh, knowing more than what they came into the conversation with, then that's a good thing.
2: But again, if it's on brand, right, Um, if that is not your brand, if that is not what you're pursuing, um, sometimes it is best to ignore and walk away. You just have to, again, you see how everything comes back to the same place before you start building visibility and self-marketing and putting yourself out there. Before you do all of that, you have to really figure out. Who you are, what makes you unique, why you're doing it, because there are those days where you're sharing content, you're putting yourself out there, and nothing happens, or it feels that nothing happens. In order to keep going, you have to be also very clear on your motivation and your why. Why are you putting yourself out there? Why are you doing this to yourself? Sometimes that's how it feels Why am I doing this to myself? you're very clear on your why on your core values on your messaging your positioning your unique voice then it helps in the process even through the ups and downs how important is it
1: when it comes to consistency because the algorithms on these social platforms and we're talking mostly about social media here uh you know there's still the importance of even if you're putting an article out it is going through one of these channels, or it might be in the media, that might be a separate stream. But when it comes to social media, how important
2: is consistency in messaging? Um, it's everything. Without removing from, um, you know, the, the clarity of messaging, the quality of messaging as well, consistency is everything. And, you know, when I tell this to people and people say, for example, you know, how often should I be posting on LinkedIn? My answer is at least every second day. How often should I be posting on Instagram? every single day, plus five to 15 times in story. <laughs> so there's a lot more there. If I'm on Twitter, um, how often should I be tweeting 15 to 25 tweets every single day? And uh, nobody likes hearing that people get really overwhelmed. It's the truth, though. But if you think about that, It's the truth with everything in life, right? If you have a goal that you're working towards, you can't just do things every now and then when you feel like it, right? If you're, let's say, training towards something, right? You can't go in and for a week, it's every single day and you are all in, and then you do nothing for two weeks. You've lost the momentum and you've lost everything you've done, so you're rebuilding. So yes, you can go back to it all the time, but you're rebuilding all the time. So consistency is absolutely important because you know with all those different steps, it's all cumulative, and then it results in a bigger uh, payout. And also, of course, it is all about the algorithm. You know, less than 1% of people on LinkedIn, less than 1% of people on LinkedIn, uh, post three times per week or more, which is why I said every second day is important. So by posting every second day, and this will, this will give some motivation to the overachievers uh, that are listening to this conversation. <laughs> oh my God, I get to be in the 1%. Yes, you do. And then what that means is that you eventually, it takes a bit of time, but you go to the top of the algorithm, meaning uh, when people, people will see your content, Right, because if you're posting every now and then, and then you feel you get very low engagement and you get really discouraged because you feel my posts are not good, people think they're not good, I didn't post something of value. No, it's just that nobody saw it. The tree fell, but we didn't hear it. (laughs) So did it really fall? Um, So that's why you're absolutely right. Consistency is extremely important.
1: And what about visualization? You know, we hear a lot about video and the importance of that, but when you're posting a message, Uh, And I'll use LinkedIn uh, because it's mostly a business audience that we have. Is it important to include photographs or images uh, with posts there?
2: Anything that can humanize the message is particularly important, right? Um, Number one. Number two, it has to be something that you're comfortable with, right? So LinkedIn right now favors posts. We're starting with with video. Favors posts with video in them. But there are a couple of uh, things to keep in mind. Um, native video, meaning when you recorded a video and you uploaded it directly on the LinkedIn platform. not when you included a link to let's say to your YouTube channel or anywhere else where it's hosted. And just also another quick tip, LinkedIn and we're talking about LinkedIn, but any social media platform don't like links of any kind. So if you are, for example, sharing an article and you're putting a link or it's a link to a video, platforms don't like it, usually they will not optimize those posts for people to see. Why? Because they want people to stay on the platform. And if you're sharing something where people click and they leave the platform, of course the platform doesn't want that, right? So that's the that's that's the thinking. Um, so usually that's where you will see people will often say link in comments. They will write the post and they say link in comments. That's the little hack. That's why we do it. So when you are sharing video, you want to upload it directly to the platform. You want to make sure that it's a couple of minutes in length, absolute maximum, even though LinkedIn allows up to 10 minutes, but you want to keep it up to two. Um, And you want it to be human. You want it to be you. You don't want it to be overly produced. It's important. LinkedIn loves video because then people are sitting and staring or staying on LinkedIn. They're not just scrolling away. So video does well. Images do well um, also, but again, ideally images of, of, of things you took, your pictures, not something you found, you know, some stock image online, nobody noticed. It looks like an ad and people scroll down. So again, something a little bit more authentic, it can be a picture of anything more authentic. And again, a reminder, you want to stay on brand and consistent with your content pillars. You know, a picture of here's the wonderful coffee that I'm drinking this morning, or here's my beautiful view from where I'm sitting, are only interesting and relevant if they're connected to one of your content pillars. Somehow, you can be creative and find a way of connecting it to your, um, to your message, but otherwise, it just feels a bit random and doesn't really connect. So images as well, and of course, text-only posts are still doing very well um, on LinkedIn too. So the more you diversify, the different types of content you create, the better, but also you want to stay um, consistent with who you are and comfortable, right? So again, the reason I'm saying this, Polly, is that many people will come to me and say, um, you know, I, I, I want to be on LinkedIn, but I'm not going to be on LinkedIn if you make me do selfie videos, yeah. And they don't make anybody do anything that they're not comfortable with because then it's going to feel forced and not natural. So you, you want to stay within your comfort zone.
1: Well, and on that note, uh, what about live video or in, LinkedIn Live or whatever their name of their platform is? My understanding is that because not a lot of people are using it yet, that it would be very good for people to start uh, using that uh, to get uh, ranked better.
2: Uh, LinkedIn Live um, was fantastic for me when I started using it, Um, and I don't know if it was maybe partially, partially contextual. So LinkedIn Live, you have to apply to have, not everybody has it, and you have to wait to be approved. Um, I received my approval in November or December of 2019. You might, you might be thinking, this is weird. Why does she remember the date when she got approval? But there is a reason. So I received it and I was so happy, Polly, I was so happy. I told everybody. I told my daughter, who didn't quite understand why I was so excited and what it was about. I was like doing happy dances. And then I froze because I didn't know what to do with it. So what I'm going to do, I'm just gonna go live and what am I going to say? Is anybody going to listen? Do I have something of value to say in this type of format, right? So all those questions, the same questions, they always resurface when it's something new, right? Something new, we start asking those same questions. I froze and then I did nothing with it. I just sat on it and I announced, I wrote a post on LinkedIn. People were congratulating me, giving me ideas of what to do with it. And then I did nothing. And then the pandemic hit, right? So that's why I remember it was uh, November, December, because the pandemic hit in March. Um, And uh, one of my businesses got massively affected by the pandemic but massively and everything shut down and I spent the first weekend of the shutdown in bed I was incapable of moving out of bed like I just like lay there staring at the ceiling crying there was a lot of crying and a lot of calculating things in my head just calculating you know the the rent that we had for our commercial lease um, you know the payroll just ca- counting but in my head because I couldn't even pick up pen and paper or one of my tablets or anything I, I was quite devastated and then also this feeling of we're stuck at home now we can't go I come from the Soviet Union I started experiencing PTSD those exact same feelings of I can't go anywhere I'm stuck. I go to a grocery store, everybody's paranoid and staring each other down. It felt like that growing up, it's that same feeling. So I was all kinds of overwhelmed. And for some reason, there was something in me that just pulled me towards using LinkedIn Live. I felt, you know what, this is a way of speaking... So I feel less censored. It's live. I'm just speaking. I'm going to be interviewing people. So I'm growing intellectually. I'm bringing some value. And people are going to be watching. It's live. So it's going to feel like, you know, something is happening and it's real. You know, I started going live during the pandemic every single day except for the weekends. Yeah, I'm equally as shocked right now thinking about like, how do they do that, do that? With two kids at home, including at the time a four-year-old, which every now and then would show up. I did it every single day. It was it did absolute wonders to my visibility, my personal brand, business opportunities that started coming my way, um, just the exposure that I got. And in my case, more importantly, my, my mental health and sanity as well in a really unexpected way. Wow. And
1: I'm just curious to know, what was the underlying theme of of your posts on there? Was it different than everything else that you do? Or was it specifically related to what you were dealing with in the moment going through the pandemic?
2: Um, You know, I did share what I was going through during the pandemic um, to to an extent. It was very hard to talk about it. The few times that I did in my written posts, not in the lives... I was humbled and overwhelmed by the amount of support that I received. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, We talk about the evils of social media and how it removes human connection and how we don't connect anymore and all those different things. Uh, For me, it's been different. You know, when I came to Canada again as an immigrant, as a teenager, I didn't have a community. I didn't have a sense of belonging. Um, For many years, I I didn't have real friends. I couldn't fit in. Um, For me, social media was a way of building a community community. But then you do think about. But is it real? Is it a real community? Is it fake? Like, do people really care about you? You know, we always hear people care about you when you're doing well. They don't when you're not. But when I wrote that first post on LinkedIn and I said um, I shared how tough everything had become, I must have said the word tough about twelve times in that post. <laughs> it wasn't such a long post. I Hashtag said it, tough. <laughs> pretty much <laughs> tough. Like I said, it's tough to be an entrepreneur. It's tough to be a mom. It's tough to be a partner. that, 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 um, But it's it. And then people started replying, and, and 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 I kept crying because it was incredible. It was just messages of support and inspiration and offers to collaborate and do things together. It was incredible. My LinkedIn Live series was different. Um, I called it Voice of a Leader. So my business is called Brand of a Leader. Um, the LinkedIn Live show is Voice of a Leader. I started interviewing absolutely incredibly inspiring people from all over the world, talking about their life stories, about, and again, because everybody was stuck at home, they all of a sudden became accessible. And those people that I had been asking to speak with for years, all of a sudden they were saying yes. And so every day I got to have that hour of inspiration, connection, learning, growth, and then all these people who were watching and saying this is incredible, you know, this is this is fantastic. This brings value. Uh, was um, was 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 really truly. Um, oh, I shy away from you know big proclamations, but uh, you know it was a bit of a lifesaver.
1: Wow. Well, this has been fantastic. And, you know, we started with imposter syndrome, and then you very, very succinctly related it to personal brand, how to build our company, using our personal brand, being authentic. What haven't we covered that you'd like to touch on?
2: Um, You know, again, I I think it's really important to realize um, that uh, so many more people experience um, imposter imposter syndrome than we realize. So many people, you know, I can think of so many moments where um, I was putting myself in a new situation, a different situation and thinking, why am I doing this to myself? Why did I do this? And You know, when we remove this um, layer of notion of what we should be in order for people to accept us or think that we're worthwhile, when we remove that, when we take off the masks and when we are, you know, we take that risk of being ourselves and sharing who we are magic happens. You know, I'll tell you one last really quick story. I'm doing public speaking a few years ago. And really, it was incredibly scary for me because when I was in university, I got laughed at a lot when I would be doing presentations and speaking because nobody could understand what I was saying. I'd make mistakes with my words. Again, my English was questionable. And so um, it was always a rough experience. But I always wanted to do public speaking nonetheless, because no censorship. I can have a voice. I can express myself to me. um, Having a voice is the most, um, you know, priceless thing that we can have. You know, my why is to help people find their voice and scale their reach. And so when I became a public speaker, I had this idea of what it was supposed to be like, right? Like it needs to be well-researched. I need to show up with some facts and takeaways and come there and be all professional and deliver. And I was doing all right. But, you know, nobody was particularly floored at the end of any of my talks and did all right. And I remember this one time I was invited actually to speak to a group of members of entrepreneurs organization and talk about, um, I think, tying personal branding to um, what being a member of EO did for me and how did it fuel my personal brand, something like that. And so it was the first time, probably, that um, I thought of sharing uh, a bit of my background and sharing that I come from Soviet Union, et cetera, but not because I felt, you know, anybody cared. It was a big deal. I just wanted to give a bit of context. And so I remember, I remember coming. It's a dinner event. So people are sitting there waiting for their food. It's evening. You know, those are not the, the most pleasant speaking engagements because people get easily um, distracted. And so I come in front of the room and I say, um, I was born in the Soviet Union. I was born to a Jewish father, um, I was born to a Jewish father, which is why I have my mother's last name. And to me this was no big deal, but all of a sudden I noticed the room went really quiet, but really quiet. And I noticed that every single person put their cell phone down and it was just quiet and everybody was listening to me. And I was standing and thinking, what did I just say? Like, what did, what did I just say that they found so captivating and so interesting? And then I realized that as much as, you know, I had takeaways, and tangible things, etc., it was that human story that connected with me with people and that people thought was really interesting. And, you know, for so many years, I used to hide that I was an immigrant. I used to hide that I was from the Soviet Union because I wanted to belong. And I felt people would feel I'm weird, strange, and not from here and not include me. And it's it's been quite the opposite. So when we take off the mask, when we share who we are, it's um, I think the most powerful thing that we can do.
1: Wow, I think this is a really good place for us to to end this really important conversation. And I think that so many people are dealing with so many things that they haven't had to face since the onset of COVID, and you know, coming out of hopefully coming out of the third wave and hopefully not going into a fourth, it really has changed our lives and our mental health. This is an area where imposter syndrome has really come to the forefront for many people. And uh, the work that you do is helping so many. And so I thank you for being with us here today. And we look forward to having you on as uh, guests talking about other things, because, you know, our audience of business owners and professionals working together. It's all about bringing out our personal expertise to help others live a better life. And you've done that for us by being here today. Thank you, Marina.
2: Thank you so much, Polly. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share and to have a voice and to scale the reach of my voice. It's the most priceless thing for for me to experience. So thank you.
1: And we will be putting the article that we referenced on imposter syndrome from the New York Times uh, in the show notes. And again, you can go to vexic.com forward slash podcast, get that. And we will be including many of the important things that Marina has shared with us today. Thanks for being with us.
0: Please note that the conversation in this podcast is for informational and learning purposes and does not constitute legal, financial or business advice. The Ask of Expert podcast is a production of Exit and distributed globally by the Sound Off Media Company.